Hey, 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 we are back. Uh, my name is Andrea Miller. I'm the host of Open Relationships Transforming Together. I'm delighted by, to be joined by Joanna Schroeder and Brian Adkins, our amazing producer. We've got a great show teed up for you today. We are featuring puberty experts, Vanessa Kroll Bennett and Dr. Kara Natterson. And we just, we are covering so many great actionable takeaways. But before we get into it, just a, a quickie reminder why we are doing this show, why we're so committed to bringing you the show with our full hearts. And that's because there is a relationship crisis raging. There is a loneliness epidemic and mental health crisis. And if you say, nah, that's not really affecting me, I'm going to push back a little bit and say, I bet there is an opportunity for this show to make a positive impact in your life. We are super committed to showing how to be more open emotionally to one another because that is how we thrive in our lives. That's how we transform together. So let's uh, let's get our guests on the show and uh, make the introduction. Our guests are actually here in the lobby. If we want to welcome them onto the show. Oh my gosh, I am so excited to welcome Dr. Kara Natterson and Vanessa Kroll Bennett to our show. We are super fans of you ladies um, and we're just really excited because you've suddenly become so famous and you're here on uh, on Open Relationships, so, so thank you. I'll do a quick intro for you both. Dr. Kara Natterson is a pediatrician and New York Times bestselling author of 10 books Vanessa Kroll Bennett is a national bestselling author, writer, and puberty educator and entrepreneur. They co-host the Puberty Podcast and run the puberty, puberty positive brand, Umla. Their new bestselling book, This Is So Awkward, Modern Puberty Explained, was an instant hit. It's been everywhere, including in Oprah's book club, which is awesome. So great. Um, I know. Let's cue that. Yeah, get that big audience in our in our studio. You know, cheering away, cheering away. Um, between them, Kara and Vanessa are raising six, count it, six teenagers. So, in addition to all that professional uh, insight and expertise, they really are the experts. So, oh my God, my first question is: Would you guys like a shot of tequila? <laughs> Always it's like six teenagers. Wow. Um, no, in all seriousness. Um, your book is filled with so many insights and actionable takeaways and incredible research. But for people who only like to listen to this podcast for five minutes, what is the one piece of actionable advice that you'd like to give? Just that one takeaway that's like, you know, if you can't read the book, just do this. Take do-overs. So this is Cara. This is my biggest advice. Um, you will get things wrong. Even if you're right, you will get them. You will you will say them wrong. You will do them wrong. You will. And that's okay. Just try again. And mine is lecture less, listen more. The more oh. stressed we are, the more anxious we are, the more complicated the topic, the more likely we are to start talking, 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 and to back up the dump truck and give our kid every piece of information we know. And they stop listening. And rather, they want us a little bit of information, and they want us to listen to them. So lecture less, listen more. I heard an interview where, I think it was Vanessa, but it, I don't know who exactly it was, where they asked for advice, and you said, zip it. <laughs> zip it. 
that listen might more. And, yeah, my my co-author and I immediately texted each other, Christopher Pepper and I, and we were like, did you hear that? Zip it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so key. Listen more. I might have said at one of our talks that people should shut their fat traps. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, I think maybe that's not an acceptable phrase to use anymore. <laughs> um, so, you, you know. just dove right into it. You're it like, probably bears stating, though, that we are very good at giving this advice. We are not as excellent at taking our own advice. It's really, really hard to just shut your mouth and let them talk and do the listening, especially when you know better. Like when you know exactly where the conversation is going and you know what the solution is and you're very, you're a tactician and you're goal oriented, it's very hard. So um, we're excellent at saying it. And um, Vanessa's a little more excellent at doing it than I am. <laughs> Aw. Well, I love that. And I, it is so, it's so helpful. I mean, there's so much in that just to, to take away but the idea of you guys as experts are still practicing it and calling yourselves out is is a relief to hear as a mom who, I mean, between Joanna and myself, we have five kids. Uh, it's just, it's like we put so much pressure on ourselves as parents. So to hear you guys say we even have a hard time uh, taking our own advice is really a gift. So thanks for that. I mean, if you think about it, between all of us here on this call, there's a lot of children being raised. And I, <laughs> so I have two teenagers, one's in college, one's in high school. Andrea has a teenager who's in middle school and she has a burgeoning adolescent. So we have a lot of experience on this call and a lot of questions and hopefully you all have a lot of answers. <laughs> We're here for you. Well, but I, I love in your book and in, in the other material um, that... Uh, talk less, listen more. But I also feel like you guys did a really good job of emphasizing asking better questions. And I feel like we all know that. But then as parents, we often don't do that. So is there any other advice just other than just to try to remember to practice asking better questions? Yeah, I mean, the, the sort of how was your day or did you have fun Right. Which is like inevitably the answer is, how was your day? Fine. As my mm -hmm. now 21 year old says, he used to say fine for like three years. His answer was always fine. And I was like, why did you always say fine? And he said, because there's no follow up to fine. If I say good, you want to know why. If I say bad, you want to know why. But fine is like totally neutral. I'm like, oh, you little shit. Like, that's so smart. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so what do we say instead? Like, what are some suggestions of what to so, say instead? I mean, it depends on the age of your kid. With younger kids, um, I would say, like, through middle school, you can ask something like, what is the funniest thing that happened today? Um, because mm -hmm. then it's an open-ended question. It's in their language. Like, you're not, like, what was the most edifying experience you yeah. had today, right? Like, <laughs> That's like a nerdy question I'd ask. Okay, I want to totally do that. Too. So would Cara and I. I mean, if we had <laughs> our druthers, we'd be like, enlighten us. So what's the funniest thing that happened today? Um, with an older kid, you want to, like, get at underneath. Like, oh, my gosh, you had a lot of stuff going on today. What were you so relieved about mm. when it was over? That's a good one. Right. So it's getting at That's like the one. sort of granularity of the experience and also knowing the temperament of the kid. Like some kids 
want to dump their crap all over you and complain and complain. And some kids want to go straight for the light, humorous stuff because that helps them get, you know, to the end of the day. So it, it really depends on the temperament of the kid. And if, if they trust that you are not going to have a go in one ear and out the mouth to other parents, um, which is a very important skill, do not just um, overshare because you'll yeah. lose your kid's trust. But um, if they trust you, then you can do a prompt. Like sometimes I'll just say, okay, give it to me. Give me one good piece of gossip that I'm going to love. And I love the gossip. Earn, right? Because it's, first of all, who doesn't love gossip? And second of all, it's such a good springboard for conversations about them, but they don't feel like they're being put on the spot because mm -hmm. they think they're talking about someone else. And it's a really nice side door into a conversation of, well, what would you do? Or, you know, oh, that's interesting you say that. Let's get into the details of it a little bit, right? It's never about the other person. You have to prove that you're not going to judge the kids involved yes. in the gossip. Oh, yeah. Because the minute they feel like you start judging their friends when they share stuff is the minute they stop sharing stuff. I One of my favorite questions is, who got in trouble today? Oh, it's because, a good question. That's a great question. Because they're so excited to talk about who got in trouble. And you're right that I think that maybe what I'm getting out of it is an opportunity to um, ask follow-up questions like, with the five-year-old, it's like, well, why do you think so-and-so had trouble sitting still on the rug today? Or then with the older kid, it's like, well, why do you think so-and-so was so angry at this other person? And yeah, that's what it is. And I hadn't really decoded it yet. It's like, it's fun to talk about who got in trouble when it's not us, but also it gives you that opportunity. <laughs> well, yeah, and it gives some context, right? I feel like yeah. it normalizes just it, people screw up, right? And I feel like one of the greatest things that I've learned to do with my kids is uh, try to stay calm in the face of screw ups, especially my own, and then get back to, okay, well, what did we learn? Or what did you learn? Or, how, you know, like, what do we do differently, right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't feel uh, uh, that they're getting a bunch of shame, um, dumped on them but instead it's like humanizing yes but, but i'm just going to summarize this by saying no lazy questions we are doing no lazy questions anymore with our kids we're doing good thoughtful fun gossipy not edifying questions and then you I can. Go, oh you you yeah. can do a lazy yeah. question just know okay. what you're gonna get oh you're, okay you're getting sure, a lazy enough. answer yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay Noted. We'll put that in the, in the minutes. But I, I just since we're talking about friendships, this is one of my super hot button issues. Given, uh, you know, your tango, our parent company is all about relationships, given there's a loneliness epidemic raging in America, given the data that you guys shared, which is like, what was it, 40 percent of high school students feel a persistent sense of despair. For me, so much of that comes back to um or social lives. And I realize that's not just it, but I love what you guys wrote in, in the book. You said, friendships improve the quality of adolescent life by positively affecting everything from kids' academic performance to their general sense of well-being. At the same time, bonds with friends reduce the risk for depression. These benefits are thought to last a lifetime, translating into higher psychosocial functioning in adulthood and even adding years to a person's life, two separate phenomena that are certainly also intertwined. So we're big advocates here about the importance of relational wellness. But this is all a prelude to my own burning question about my own kids. I have noticed, and, and my boys are 11 and 13, that it feels like 
there is so much less emphasis on having kids get together. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're doing the vast majority of the outreach. Hey, you want to come over? You want to do a play date? Blah, blah, blah. You come watch the football game. It is like literally 10 to 1. And I live in Colorado now. I lived in New York, uh, Upper West Side before for many years. It feels it's the same. Is it just, are we just not likable? Okay. <laughs> or is it just that other parents are not prior to the kids' social lives? Okay. I have so much to say, and I'm going to try to be really succinct before I pass the ball to <laughs> Vanessa, who I know has so much to say. Okay. Okay. I want to go back to the premise of the question, which was the data about persistent loneliness. That data comes from the Youth Risk Behavior Survey. It's a survey that's done every other year on odd years. Um, it's run by the CDC. The last data collection that has been published was from 2021. They just did a 2023 data collection that will be published next year. 2021, I just want you to think back, was yeah. we were in year two of COVID. Half oh, this right. country, kids were Zoom schooling. Um, isolation was the mandate. So that data, yeah. it's not that the data is wrong because we were seeing an epidemic of loneliness and we were seeing mm -hmm. peaks in mental health diagnoses before COVID. But some of those numbers are particularly alarming because they were set in a COVID moment. So I think that's very, very important to kind of like level set. The other thing I wanted to say is about the evolution of socialization and friendship from sort of through the tween years. So in the beginning, tween is eight to 12. It's in between being little and being a teenager, okay? In mm -hmm. the beginning of the tween years, you are managing all their social plans. You have to. They don't have a mechanism to communicate. They're not, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping an eight-year-old's not texting for their own plans. Um, you know, they're not driving themselves. They're not managing all the logistics, right? By the time they're out the other end of the tween years, they are probably handling all of the logistics, short of physically getting themselves there. And in some cities, they are getting themselves areas where they're jumping on a bike, jumping on a train, jumping on a bus, they are getting themselves there. So there is, it is very important to recognize that what you're living, what you just described, is part <laughs> of the normal evolution of kids starting to be a little bit more independent about how they engage with one another. Also, they're not interested in us making their friends for them. Okay, but, Vanessa, go. <laughs> so, but I would say that there's a couple of phenomenon that um, can feel really personal, Andrea, right? Like you were like, is it just like my family's not likable? And by the way, you and millions of other parents are asking themselves that very question because their kids are not getting together. So online life has become so much more important to kids if they can play, you know, Xbox uh, over Discord or FaceTime with their friends. That feels just the same as getting together in person. And even though it doesn't feel the same to us, from their perspective, it's the same. They get the same benefits. I mean, they wouldn't use that that terminology. So um, I think that's part of it. I also think that a lot of kids missed a lot of skill building during yeah. the pandemic yep. of socialization, of making plans, of all the little building blocks of um, getting together with people. How do I ask someone if they're available? How do I make a plan with them? How do I know what their schedule is? How do I know what my schedule is, right? Like 
there's so many little parts of making plans. And I think a lot of kids missed out on building those skills and either they're catching up or they've given up or the parents filled the void and didn't build the skills. And so I do think that's part of what um, needs to happen. And by the way, it's not just 11 and 13 year olds. It's 16, 17 and 18 year olds who didn't build those skills you know, four years back and need and need to build them. So I think it's a lot of factors. Um, the one thing, the one other thing I would say about friendships is there's this mythology in our society that adolescents need a gang of friends. You need to have a crew. You need to have a posse. And you guys know because you've read the book, but like a kid only needs one quality mm-hmm. friendship to get the benefits that you read about um, affecting, you know, counterbalancing mental health and academic performance and a sense of belonging and all of that. They just need one trusted friend. They don't need a whole crew of friends. In fact, I think, and I'm sure you've both read Rosalind Wiseman's Masterminds and Wingmen or you know of it. I remember her saying sometimes the kids that have a lot of friends, especially if they're more at top tier in the social circle, they have a lot of stress that mm-hmm. the boys who are that mastermind, they have a huge amount of stress, whereas the boys that are lower, lower on the social totem poles that have one or two really good friends, they tend to report the greatest happiness. That's right. That's, that's right. But parents and their baggage going into their kids, adolescents and relationships create these expectations for their kids like, oh, they only have one or two friends. I'm worried about that because high school is supposed to be a crew or, you know, oh, but they're not part of the popular quote unquote set. Or so one of the things to be conscious of is like, what are we messaging to our kids about their friends and friendships? And are we contributing to what they worry about in terms of their social relationships? I I wish sometimes, I mean, I think about, you know, um, my own life and, I'll take stock in a in a wise enlightened moment and and say to myself, "Wow, I just like that was such a terrible thing to say." Or you know, I I try to be more conscious about what I'm thinking about. Like I'm such I'm so Type A and so driven and and achievement oriented. I'll say things to my like dumbass things to my kids. Like, you know, they're playing video games and and let's face it, they play video games 24 hours if we let them. But you know, it's like you know, not so subtle. <laughs> things like, well, you should read more. And it's like, oh my God, how to get them to hate reading. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I'm trying to, you know, I mean, I'm a big reader and for all the right reasons, we want to develop that part of their brain and and not, you know, be as, um, you know, addicted to digital media, you know, all the forms of digital media. But I, I just, I guess I want to call myself out here a little bit as a parent that is super committed to being the best parent that I can and and still say, Oh my gosh, Vanessa, to your point about the unintended baggage and the kind of leading questions that we ask or like, well, what's everybody else? Like, why are you home by yourself? Like, aren't your friends getting together? Like, and and you're trying to help, but it just, it feels like there's a lot that's unconscious that as parents, we'd be wise to try to be more aware of. And I don't know how to do that. I don't know. Do you guys have advice for us? Well, I'm going to go back to your, you should read more. (laughs) <laughs> because so, someone on this podcast might have done that exact thing many, many, many times and said that. <laughs> because there's real anxiety. Like you see them on video games all the time and you literally think their brain is liquefying in the reading yes. arena. Right. Oh, yes. like you yeah, I see I see it oozing out of their ear. It is yeah. so deeply disturbing. Vanessa's like, 
uh, it must be so hard to be you, Cara, but it's true. It's like, I, <laughs> no. I literally... I, well, I mean, I, con- I'm constantly having this conversation. I mean, the things your that kids, I say. When I stay at your house, your kids are so much better at doing things like having books open. I'm like, wow, that's incredible. But that's as kids read. So, okay, I'm just going to say that's a perfect <laughs> moment for a do-over where it looks like this. Um, I know I will say to you in the least subtle way possible, you should read more. And I know your eyes are rolling so far into your head that they might get stuck. But I just want to tell you why. I'm going to try to do better and not message it this way because it's not working. But I want to tell you why. It makes me feel really anxious when I see you on games all the time. And I read, I talk to all these people on my podcast and I read all this data and I'm like deep in it. And everything suggests reading more and video gaming less might be better for you. So this is where it comes from. Like, I'm just doing the best I can. Yeah. Tell me how to message it better for you so that you won't just, you know, swallow bile when I say it. And, you know, they sometimes will come back with some a great way through. And sometimes they'll just say, you know what? I get it. Like, I still love my video games, but thank you for sharing. Sometimes they're going to come back and say, I hate reading. Like my my children yeah. were yeah. huge readers until seventh grade. And then it's like the moment they assign like the red fern grows or whatever depressing horror <laughs> show. So they're depressing. like, yeah, they're like F reading forever. Forever. Yeah. yeah I yeah. mean, part no, of I, that I is, appreciate the keeping it real. Go, oh, we, go ahead, Vanessa. Well, we feel like the graphic novel, like we get we get stressed out like oh they need to stop reading graphic novels those aren't real books um and then the real books they get assigned in school are so depressing like i can yes. still remember sobbing after reading bridge to terabithia and when oh I god no kidding my- <laughs> yes. i was like oh get ready for a sob fest and so i think part of it is like being less judgmental about um and getting curious like yeah okay Dude, you know that it makes me crazy when I walk in and you're on the Xbox. But like, tell me for the what tenth you, hour. Yes, tell me, <laughs> tell me what you love about it because I don't game and yeah. I don't get it. And just like, just tell me. By the way, that doesn't mean you can you can't set limits with them. Also, like, yeah, okay, you can spend ten hours on Saturday playing. You can spend some time, but like, I want to know what you love about it. What is fun what do you learn what is cool about it like and just getting really curious that leads me to one of my least popular parenting decisions uh that other parents never liked to hear which was um i allow them to play video games during the school week and i do that it's you know they have to have relatively good grades to do that i do that because when i ask that question my oldest son who is more wired toward anxiety was like this is where I find peace in my brain. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it seems chaotic to me. Mm-hmm. So then other, of course, what happens and how this becomes controversial is that other parents are like, why do you let Isaac play video games during the week? And it's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. not on team. No video games. But this kid kind of needs it for his mental health. I need to hear him. But, you know, yeah, no, I love that, that meeting them, meeting him where he is. Sorry, Cara, go ahead. You know, I I was just going to say what's implied in that story is that everything in moderation. It doesn't sound like he's on video games, you know, for 12 hours from when he comes home from school until the sun comes up the next day. Everything in moderation. And, you know, 
I'll give you a parallel story, which is when my kids were in preschool, there was one house where there was candy everywhere. Like, like it was out in order for the kids to actually have increased access. There was candy drawers, there were candy bowls, there was candy, candy everywhere. And I finally said to the mom, I don't get it. Like, what? Tell me, explain the philosophy here. And she said, oh, I want them to be able to make the best choices they can make. So I'm leaving it everywhere so that they don't feel deprived and they won't eat candy all the time. And uh, ironically for her oldest, that worked. Like her oldest did not eat a lot of candy. You know what? Um, when you have more than one kid living under a roof, as we yeah. all know, uh, the learning <laughs> curve is steep with numbers too and however many more you have, three, four, five, six. And so uh, her second kid came along and was like, Oh, there's a candy opportunity at every turn. And he just understood what his mom wanted. And so he would just sneak it. So it worked with one kid. It didn't work with another. Gaming, I think, is very similar. Like if it works for a certain brain type and it's working, it's done in moderation. And it's like, you do you. and But you don't just do you as a parent. You do you as a parent-kid diet. Like it has to be what works for that particular kid because it won't necessarily work for the sibling. Yeah, I, I think that's it's it's so wise. We've had a little of that discussion in, in my family, my husband. I've been much more keen to put the brakes and, um, you know, really try to um, uh, almost uh, not force, but but engender as much um, uh, boundaries and so forth as we can. And my husband has a different view. He's like, listen, if you know, the if if you create forbidden fruit when they're beyond you whether it's um, uh, too much video game time or screen time or, or soda or any of those things, if it that forbidden fruit that they didn't get, they're going to freak out and not have that self-control when they get older. And so that, that feels like a very present, uh, healthy tension in our house. All right. What I want to get to, you open the door, Joanna, to unpopular or controversial uh, opinions or perspectives. Um, who wants to go first? I feel like uh, Vanessa, Joanna, you definitely have some. I have one. Joanna, do you want to start us? I'll start. So I already said this about the video games. That's con a controversial. Another one that I have that I'm unfortunately or fortunately known for is I think kids should have social media starting very young on your phone so they learn how to use it when they still care what you think. And I actually learned that from our um, sure. our head editor at Your Tango, Sabrina that while they care what you think, like fifth grade, you start them on Instagram or something that's not that you can track so you can teach them how to use it correctly. And that makes me very unpopular among the other parents. <laughs> also, I don't let my kids do sleepovers. So there you go. <laughs> Which was like a huge wow. When I learned that, I, I fell off my chair. I'm like, what? Those two yeah. things can they feel stay like over my house? Conflict. I know. Two, I was like, fascinated by those two. They're like diametrically opposites. opposed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know. They really, it seems that way. But I like what you said about the parent-child dyad. I adapted to my own children. And I'll tell you that one of the reasons why I stopped the, the sleepovers is because I was reporting a big story for the Gates Foundation about male survivors of ch of child sexual abuse. And it was like, there was a theme. There was so way too much freedom in most sleepovers. So I think there probably is some compromise and balance in like how much you trust the parents, how much supervision there is. But that was where I kind of had a gut reaction. And then in the long run, I, I just stood by it. But I don't judge anybody who does sleepovers. It's more me. 
Joanna, when we did an episode on sleep to sleep over or not to sleep over on the Puberty Podcast and covered, you know, stuff like screen time and junk food, quote unquote, junk food, et cetera, we got um, listener comments that were like, how about sexual abuse? Yeah. How about um, substance abuse? Like we did not cover those topics in yeah. the episode and heard from a lot of people who were like, I don't let my kids sleep over because... I know someone who was sexually abused when they did a sleepover. So connected to your point, um, firearms in the house. That was another topic oh. that came up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I'll so, tell you, people have a sense about who the victims of these crimes are. And wh- I was reporting on male survivors only. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so that was a big wake up call for a lot of people when I would say that. They'd be like, wait, but boys? It's like, yeah, Sorry. But that's mm-hmm. my there's my downer. But yeah, also social media, I give them a little more freedom. So, but Vanessa, I'm so curious what you if you have any controversial parenting takes as a puberty expert and educator. Um, so I guess my somewhat controversial is like I don't care how much kind of sexual content my kids see in movies. Like I don't mind if it's like rated R because people have sex on screen or the you know on on a show. But I do care about um, violence and substance use. Mm-hmm. So agreed. Um, like Wolf of Wall Street, I watched three minutes of it with my 13-year-old, and I was like, oh, no, oh, we're boy. turning this off. Um, but like, you know, a big mouth, he's oh, yeah. like, he's allowed to watch. I mean, also my brother created yeah. it, so it's like a slightly <laughs> special circumstance, but like, it's gross in the sense that, like, these kids do wildly weird sexual stuff in the context of the storyline, but I don't have a problem with that. So I guess people that are would be shocked my... that I let my boys watch Big Mouth in case, and I actually encourage them. And I am not related to one of the founders or creators, and I know zero of them. <laughs> but also, our my boss Sabrina, she also was like, "No, show it to them so you can talk to them about it." Yes, and also so that they know that you're not freaked out by it, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Sounds like I need to uh, get in the Big Mouth Club because I've never even heard of it. Oh, my. Well, <laughs> prepare. My, kids are thir- my oldest is 13. So maybe it's a. Well, a not your 11 year old. Yeah. <laughs> the 13 year old. You got to judge it on how mature. Andrea, just watch it. And then you can text right. me and be like, but not, what? But not with your 13 year old. <laughs> no, watch, watch it, it first. Yourself. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. No, <laughs> got it. Cara, how about you? Do you have uh, any, any uh, so, unpopular. Uh, advice Vanessa stole mine because we're totally in sync about <laughs> because you're I mean, Cara and Vanessa that's yeah, because, because she bodies for both of us I do um so I'll do a, another one because I, I have many unpopular parenting strategies that I employ so um I've always been a fan of keeping healthy food at home so that when they're not at home and they want to eat whatever and do whatever like What's around at baseline is healthier. And mm-hmm. what's unpopular about it is it can look rigid. It really can. Mm. It can look like we have nothing fun in our house. I, and I've become mm. more flexible over the years. Like, I love ice cream. We always are stocked with lots of ice cream. Vanessa makes fun of me because my ice cream bowls are this big. They're teeny tiny. <laughs> They're and- like egg cups. <laughs> 
Oh my god! I know what to send you for. I know what to send you for Christmas. All right, let's get uh, uh, Cara some decent. Uh, forget her for the kids. They did ice cream so funny. When so her son came there. and stayed, when her son came and stayed at our house, and we had ice cream, he was like, "Oh, thank God, some like real bowls for the ice cream." Real, by the way, and by the way, we bowl. have real size bowls. It just no one uses them for ice cream. Anyway, side note. But my my philosophy is. If there's a cleaner slate at home, then when they eat the junk outside of the house, and they've always known, like, I'm a big believer in moderation, so I'm not restrictive mm-hmm. at all with them, that I'm very mm-hmm. sort of like, let's have the majority of stuff that you put into it onto your body be good for you, and then there's a lot of room for flexibility. Um, but I think it really does, um, well, my kids tell me that it's not the favorite snack house <laughs> that I, I understand. <laughs> Apparently not. Yeah. No. Uh, duh. No, I failed at uh, snack house. They don't yeah. want oh, they don't want raw almonds as their snack. <laughs> to go with their celery and carrots. No, it's not that Dried bad. Seaweed. But, it's, but it's close to that bad. You know, it's just like Yeah. But but the data, I mean, I'm just gonna defend myself for a second. The data is unbelievable. And I'm in the middle of of watching this um, show called You Are What You Eat, which is a, a Stanford study, twin study about Ooh. vegan diet. And it's I amazing. Say, I love that show. The data is incredible. It's really interesting. And it's like made me feel a whole lot better about my carrot sticks and my, you know, raw I love almonds. that. Well, the, Just... the thing my son has been, he is uh, uh, intolerant to wheat. So we have the Heavenly Hunks from Costco. Oh, I love those. That are are I I feel like that's a pretty good snack that's filling that that's not quite as bad as the uh uh dried tofu and carrot stick so you know I love it shout out to the heavenly having Nines. grown Going up right in now. a house that was had carob chips and <laughs> um candied lavender was the closest thing we got to <laughs> that's candy that's just such a mistake um it's and having a tactical snuck a lot of junk food <laughs> or like gorged myself at other people's houses because nothing happened. I'm just offering up a counter argument. <laughs> I have yet, I have yet to watch You Are What You Eat, which I'm sure will shame and depress me in equal measure. No, no, it no, won't. It's no, okay. It's shaming. It's oh, not good. Good. It'll just make me feel inadequate. Wonderful. Um, no, no, yeah. no. I watched it, and still last night when I was sad about something, I ate an entire sleeve of cookies. And you know what? I accept myself for how I am. Yeah, it's, it's Girl totally Scout cookie season. I'm so excited for my sleeves of Thin Mints. Wait, yeah. Andrea, we need yours. Yes. Oh, oh, yes. Um, my um uncontro- or my controversial, unpopular opinion is that kids should be allowed to sleep with their parents whenever they want mine are a little mm. bit older and they're you know it's like you know if if you're if you want to come in and and cuddle it kind of drives my husband a little bit crazy but what i'll you know, say about my family that my kids like have no interest in cup like <laughs> too my... many lavender chips you're giving them too many lavender chips <laughs> no no we in my house there was no, a I'm snack kidding. we have a lot of, okay. and then when we moved out of the city and into the suburbs and i had like a proper pantry my kids are like mom you have a costco problem like we need to like address that (laughs) but when my oldest was little and he would be sick and we'd be like come come in come snuggle with come sleep with us and he'd like lay there for 10 seconds and they'd be like no i'm going back yeah that just shows you how every kid is different (laughs) it really does like that's how my like my kids always wanted to be in bed and when they were two and three and then like around four and maybe because i had two boys close together they wanted to be in their own room they shared a room and they were like mm, bye bye yeah, but you my guys daughter are fun 
my daughter will for sure be climbing into our bed until she's 17. And I'm with Andrea. I'm like, get in here. As long as I'm getting enough sleep overall. Yes. I'm all for it. The weekly average. Yeah. So, I mean, Andrea, you, do you they just still get... come in? Sorry, go ahead, Carl. Oh, you don't get the cuddles back. I'm, I'm in your camp, yep. too. I got to say. I and And I have one who would and one who wouldn't. And so um, I was the one who would. I'm like, come here. Yeah, <laughs> come on. Bring it. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I, I mean, I'm hugging on my kids all the time. I will say that I have my oldest was not a cuddler and my second was not a cuddler. And at <laughs> now at the other side of adolescence, they're actually incredibly affectionate in a way they weren't Aww. when they were younger. So for those of you who are like, I'm never going to have a cuddler, don't lose hope because they could surprise you and turn out to be really snuggly when they get older. Well, but isn't that one of the big takeaways as a parent? Um, it's just how how everything changes, right? And we, it's like almost, I, I feel like uh, we want them little and cuddly and, you know, and then they, they grow hair and all these, and they get stinky and all these things happen and we worry. But it, part of me just, you know, I'm probably giving, you know, something to myself to calm my amygdala to say like, it's all okay. Right? And I just okay. feel like there's so much. I was actually in doing the prep work for our show, just thinking about, I don't know any moms that say, oh my God, I'm crushing it, especially working moms like we all are. Like part of me just wants to say as we conclude here, since we got to wrap up in just a sec, just, you know, first of all, a big thank you to the incredible work you guys are doing and, and research and advice. I know you're changing lives for the better. So thank you. But also to all the all the parents, but moms in particular that, you know, kind of by definition of those maternal instincts, if we could just every now and then tell ourselves, wow, I I do so much so well and so right, because nobody nobody tells us to do that. I, I mean, think the worry, though, is that as soon as you say it, the other shoe is going to drop and something's going to happen. <laughs> yes. Um, right. You don't want to you don't want to jinx yourself. And yeah, so how about writing you, a parenting book? What's, yeah, what's scarier than that as far as the jinx? Oh, and then yeah. the schadenfreude, because everyone's waiting for your kids to not be right. And and so I think it's what you're saying is so important. And it's really okay to do it quietly to yourself in your own head quietly so you don't feel I, that vulnerability yeah. if you're mm -hmm. worried about feeling that vulnerability. But if you have the kinds of friends around you who you can shout it from the rooftops and they can too, and then when things go wrong, you can also lean on each other, that's Amazing. That's the village it takes. Our friend Eliza Pressman likes to say, you just have to do well more often than not. <laughs> oh, Is yeah. That? And I'm like, oh, that's like so gratifying. Like, I feel it's so, so much it's less such a good pressure. framing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's like 52% of the time. Just aim. She says 51. In fairness, she says <laughs> she, she says 51. So Vanessa's like, no, I'm going to make it 52. No, I'm just aiming for 37% of the time. Yeah. I'm working my way up to 52. But then yeah. it's like, and here's the thing. And Cara talked about this earlier. Like, it's actually so much more valuable for our kids to see us not doing well and to own it and to like yes talk about it and to take the do over or to talk about the day we had or to talk about how we messed up and to take responsibility for it and it, more than it is to like present this perfect picture to our kids um and that i think is is critical for all of you who are going to be on this journey and screw up so many times the way we all have 
you always have another chance to do it again. Oh, yeah, I love that. You always have another chance to do it again as a parent. I love that. Okay, well, we are right at the hour. So I want to thank you, ladies, again. Thank you so much. Um, You can listen to Vanessa and Cara on the Puberty Podcast. Find them at orderofmagnitude.co. And, of course, you can read their amazing new book, This Is So Awkward. Thank you so much. I hope we can get you guys back on the show. There's so much more to talk about. We would love it. We would love it. Thank you. This was amazing. Yay! Oh, I love them. I love them. Cara, Vanessa, come back. Let's eat ice cream together and <laughs> carrot chips and dried <laughs> lavender. No, they're awesome. Candied Joanna, lavender. Candy yeah, candy lavender. lavender. Okay. I do so like those lavender. Those lavender French candies are kind of yummy, actually. But are they? I've never heard of a, a lavender it's, candy. It's a real grandma thing. Lavender. Don't eat okay. lavender. I'm just going to give some advice. My my unsolicited opinion. No, but Joanna, <laughs> they are awesome. You, I know you've been so excited to get them on, and just yeah. wow, they. Um, I mean, they really. I feel like have had so much success and traction in their book on such an important topic. So really cool to have them on. So what's your Joanna? What's your number one thing that you just took away from our our uh, wonderful discussion with them? I think we talk a lot about the importance of like making that repair when we screw up. And, and yeah. I think we are pretty comfortable the idea of being able to say we're sorry to our kids and the value of modeling that. But I loved the do over because do over mm-hmm. it, it's it's a different thing than an apology and a mea culpa. It's more like, hey, listen, I kind of handled that wrong. Let me try again. And it's mm-hmm. a little bit different than a, yeah, than an apology. And I love it because. It puts it in your head about like, as you walk away from having lost your temper or saying the rude thing, you're like, oh, I could go do a do-over right now. I love it. I love that. Yeah, I'm, I'm no, totally I think going takes, with it. Yeah, I feel like it's such a great thing to model, right? I feel like we're, you're right, we, in my family too, it's about the repair, it's about the apology. It feels like the do-over, it, it almost like takes the sting out a little bit and not to make it less our kids less accountable or ourselves less accountable but it just it feels like it's a lower emotional um threshold to get through so i love that do over we're gonna and do more do also it's like we always talk about the modeling it models for them that they yeah. can come back not just to apologize which sometimes can feel embarrassing or shameful but also like hey let me do a do-over and maybe they don't get to the apology right away but we know what they mean. And then maybe after we're accepting of the do-over, then they're more likely to feel comfortable apologizing. Yeah, I agree. Brian, what about you? Um, yeah, I wanted to, it's so funny. Uh, I wanted to chime in when we were talking about the whole reading thing. Um, and and tell I, me I, I should went... read more? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, no, you read a lot. I went through a cycle of of like doing the whole like, oh, I don't like reading, whatever. And Love when it. I loved it as a kid, but what did bring me back into it was the graphic novels. Yes. Um, and and when they were talking about like, you know, don't be judgy about like what the kids are actually reading. Be stoked at their reading. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that was definitely me where it was like, um, you know, I was reading all these graphic novels because in my brain it was like less, I don't know, I don't know, like nerdy is not the right word, but like uh, less schoolwork than like a book book True. was. Mm. And then, um, but you don't realize like, like, you know, even if it's comic books or whatever, 
80% of a comic book is still text on page. Mm -hmm. It just also has yeah. pictures. Yeah. So it's like those little things are nice stepping stones to getting kids back into like actual reading. So mm -hmm. it was like right when I was about to say something, she was like, and then graphic novels. And I was like, yes. <laughs> okay, they got it. Yeah. They got it covered. Yeah. Brian, we, uh, yeah. My, my son uh, reads a lot of graphic novels. So I'm like, oh, good. That's that's great. So I'll, I'll reassure you, too, also that there was something that um, when I was deep in comic book media critique be right before I came to your tango, or maybe right around that same time, there is a great academic analysis of graphic novels in comic books that it actually engages the brain more than reading because there's a space between the panels in mm. which your child will creatively insert story. Uh, so it's yeah. almost like you have a film that you're watching and it's like a, a one part of it and then another part. And without even realizing we're doing it, we're constructing a narrative between the panels. And then Brian's a photographer. It makes me think you grew up reading these graphic novels. They're all a frame. It's yeah. one yeah. frame. So it engages this different part of our brain. So we can be happy that our kids are reading graphic novels because maybe it's even doing, a, I don't want to say better, but it, it, it lights up even more parts of their little brains. Huh. Well, look yeah, at I love that. that. <laughs> what hey, about you, hey. Andrea? What's your takeaway? Uh, I loved, I mean, she was, she gave me the advice that I needed when Vanessa talked about uh, listen more and lecture less. Oh my God, my kids have told me so many effing times, mom quit lecturing me. And it's like, but, 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 yeah, but right? And it's this. like, you feel yeah. you feel so committed as a parent to, to guide them and, you know, and it's just like, oh, I know better. So I really, I want to get a pillow and, and a hat and a tattoo of all those things so that I do that because I know better, but then I don't follow that advice. I'm, I'm committed. I'm going to send I'm gonna you try. that clip of, I think it's Vanessa. She literally just said, zip it. And we zip can it. crochet yeah, it on a little it. pillow, like do a little embroidery that just says zip it for both of us because we are talkers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what, if, what if we had like a little like uh, a sweater or something that had a zipper on it and just like zip it? Just zip yeah. it. Yeah, we're just gonna, yeah, we've got a little metaphor here. Just zip it. Oh my God, I need it. Okay, well, this was an amazing show and uh, we're just grateful for everybody who is watching and listening. Um, if you like our show, please subscribe. Uh, you can find us on YouTube, iHeart, Audible, Spotify, you name it. We love hearing from you. Uh, you can write questions or give us advice or feedback at openrelationships at yourtango.com. And did I get it? I always have to ask you, Brian, did I get it all? You nailed it. I nailed it. All right. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. And uh, keep tuning in to Open Relationships. We're here for you. Yeah. Hey. <laughs>